0: <laughs> you don't know the song? It's a great no, Michael no, Jackson no, song. Yeah. Alright,
1: we'll check it out. Well, Lenny's always the one who knows. Lenny's the musician, so he always knows more music it's than I uh, It's old yeah. school Jackson, yeah. All right, Michael.
0: I uh, used to love how he would just in his uh concerts come out and stand. He just yeah. stands for something like three minutes. Yeah, like yeah. and he's just and people were just screaming. Yeah. He's the king. Yeah. He yeah. did that
2: at the Super Bowl, yeah, with his like bandolier. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to go to war with all of you
0: With love With love I just I mean it's baller It was so exciting And and sort of like So in the last Sparkle I did that for three to five seconds Where I just held my hand up like that And like that's as far as I was going to go with that But it occurred to me to do the same thing But I'm like I'm not Michael Jackson I can't get away with this (laughs) I bet there's
2: a There's got to be a threshold past which If you go It becomes incredible And also very Like a power move to you Yeah, yeah. It's like like the 62-second mark.
1: But it takes uh, such a level of confidence to do that. It's like you you have to
2: be that He must be having something good in store if he's standing there and then you don't have anything in store.
0: Yeah, if he can continue to pay it off, because it's all about like – being a diva, I've learned this from like Annie Donley, who I work with. It's like this unabashed being yourself and that includes standing on stage and being like, I'm just, I feel like standing on stage for three minutes and making people wait for it. Yeah. But then you do have it can't be just self-effacing, like you have to pay it off with something incredible that made people's buy-in worth it. Right. So yeah. it goes hand in hand. People that are just divas without any content or quality to back it up yes no thank you no jack yourself off at home please this is the audience's <laughs> experience we're working on
2: we are going to now try three minutes of podcast silence and get you so <laughs> pumped up <laughs>
1: the content that is coming is just going to be it's not going to be a total circle jerk it'll be the best podcast <laughs> content you'll ever hear when we just cut it out um all right well now let's do a formal introduction okay everyone welcome to the show libertine artist uh I, I think libertine is the best descriptor for you, Philip. I've, I've never even heard that word, I don't oh, think. Li- what is a libertine? a complete is it- libertine. Just, uh, somebody who-, who
2: loves t- just fucking and drugs and all the good stuff. Well, is I, that what it means?
1: No, no. I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it's, in my mind, A libert- the definition of a libertine is somebody who's like, fuck everybody, I'm doing what I want, and I'm I'm displaying myself very publicly and flagrantly. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. yeah that, that's like what, to me, a libertine is. I, but, was, uh,
0: I was worried it was like a Pharisee. Oh, no, 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 no. You're yeah. much more gallery. <laughs> you're,
1: like, yeah, you're more of a Samaritan in my... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'm,
0: a, I'm a libertine Samaritan. There you go. That's okay. good.
1: <laughs> Philip Markle. Hi. Um, Infinity License, everybody. You were also my improv teacher. Mm-hmm. And Annie Donnelly, who you mentioned as well, was my improv teacher. Um, and I think I really like... Annie, I definitely got that. Like, Annie is such a person that will own the stage and tells you, it's like, no, you do this shit and you do it right. And you go in hard. Yeah. Love yourself and all that stuff, but also have respect for the audience and respect mm-hmm. for yourself and do that. And I, I That's love that. It's a big about thing. She does. and I, yeah. we
0: both agree on the audience's experience. We both feel like people don't talk about that enough. Like I'm writing a book now and the first three chapters are just about what does the audience feel at the top of an improv show and how are you addressing that? And it, it, yeah, there's nothing I hate more than people just, Yeah. Ignoring the audience or being like, fuck the audience. They didn't like us. Like, no, the audience is always right. And you're an asshole. And that includes like, sometimes you just eat shit and an audience doesn't like you. And yeah. you must respect that. Yeah. And learn from that and not get ego driven about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, and I think that's an important thing to say now. So now you're the, also the founder of Brooklyn Comedy Collective and yes. that, that stuff. But I think that's an interesting thing to say in this time and age now in Brooklyn and in the comedy scene is that there's a lot of anti-comedy going on and there's a lot of comedy that's talking about, well, kind of dismissive or flip or whatever you want to call it of the audience, which some might consider a power move in some ways, mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I think What I like about your act or what I like about people, other performers that I see is there's this inherent just kind of like, I am here to perform and put on a show. And that's what I'm going to do. Yes, I'm going to work. Yes, exactly. You've got to work. Yes.
0: Um, And I'm not, you know, I I also like anti-comedy. I like seeing everything, too. Or if I don't like it, I can still respect it if other people... Excuse me, I'm just burping because you <laughs> fed me LaCroix. Um, <laughs> La LaCroix. <laughs> La I guess it's called LaCroix. I've I been always calling it LaCroix. I think you're right, actually. I think It's LaCroix.
1: La Cro- it is LaCroix? Because there's a, a,
0: a, a viral hit video my friend made called LaCroix Boy. That's how I always know. And I got it wrong on that HQ trivia thing. It's oh, It's really? LaCroix, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, I may not love an act, but I can always respect if an audience connects to it.
1: It's hard to determine where that line is sometimes. And, like, if somebody's being, I think, in, particularly in the anti comedy or experimental comedy world, it's like, where can you define a point where you're like, oh, okay, this person is actually doing a good, a good. Uh, bit and then, or so this person just doesn't care. Like, can you
0: identify it? Do you, I th- mean, you you know what the. I'm sure people were asking like the same question about like Andy Kaufman. Like, right. is he just nuts? Or is yeah. he. And I think, I mean, for my personal, uh, what I like is like when people can walk on a line, like the line between this bit being. Um, terrible or or and wonderful and there's like that fine edge that you can walk yeah and that's actually where like really exciting stuff lives where mm-hmm. again you you don't know if this is real you don't know if this is serious you don't know if this guy's doing a bit or if like and i love that that's yeah, really yeah. i mean the most exciting thing to me these days because i've just seen a lot of stuff now i've seen a lot of shows is when i can't predict what's going to happen next oh, okay. that's, yeah. my fav- that's my favorite that's my number is, one yeah.
1: Uh, well, I, I, yeah, uh, that's that's a very good point because I, I think that's like as you always said to me is that the true element of comedy is surprise plus believability, right? Is yes,
0: the, <laughs> the comedy equation: surprise um, plus believability.
1: And well, it's it's funny that you mentioned that too because you just shared that Brett Davis article in the New York Times, and yes, I was and I I think that that bit they're talking about, he's, I'm sure he's done it in a bunch of other places. The one where he's a cupcake and makes somebody lick lick him. I I saw that at the Annoyance, and oh. he did that at the Annoyance at least once, and and I was like. This is un- I, and th- that's kind of one of those bits where I was like, oh, my God, this is so out there, but also good. <laughs> what is the bit? He's like essentially I guess it's public since it's in The New York Times now. But it's like he was covered in he was dressed as a cupcake and cho- covered in chocolate. And he would go he went up to an audience member and was man. just like man, a man. Not, yeah, not just an audience member, particularly a man that'll come in. That'll come into play later mm-hmm. uh, and was just like, lick me. <laughs> and and insisted on it Until and, and like At first everyone was like Uh-huh And then bl- Hardcore committed to it And then made The person And then ultimately the, the guy caved and licked him And then went to another Audience member Another man And made And the, like that's where the bit took off And then they They all licked him yeah, Every single sense. person in the audience No it like was like two guy? people th- Maybe three uh But it was It was an aggressive like it was like James a, Franco's acting classes <laughs> Yeah <laughs> But the, his point was I think he was trying He was making an example In light of uh, hashtag Me Too and all the other stuff going on. He was. He made a reference later on to a season. Sorry, like it's like now you must have some kind of familiarity for the uncomfortable. Like the uncomfortable. Put your fingers
0: your- in my mouth. <laughs> now you do it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. So, yeah, I, I I like that description of like why he was doing it, what he was going for. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have the because I again like. I also am so sensitive about, like, asking people to participate. Like, I think, like, the participation has to be totally voluntary mm-hmm. and uh, an invitation. Mm-hmm. And ever f- if I ever force someone, like, anytime I've tried to force an audience member to do yeah. something, it just, for me, hasn't gone well. And yeah. I don't like that feeling. But that's his skill as an artist is that he can make that feel acceptable, safe, and and do it successfully so yeah, that's, that's his point. that's
1: his thing you know i feel like there's a social contract with him or with certain artists if people know because i'm sure those guys who came to his show knew what they were in store for like a show that he was on maybe not i don't know but like yeah that's uh, a. Uh, uh, but i think it's interesting that certain artists
2: where you're like oh you know what you signed up for when you came to this show <laughs> is <laughs> like, that the case i mean like i think do, what uh, level, do you have to be to like where people start to show up for it
0: and see a specific artist?
2: That's a good question.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, sometimes <laughs> people just read Time Out and they're like, I had a bunch of people at my last sparkle zone because people came from time out. And then I'm in the middle of the show singing a song about gay bathhouses, yeah. and half the audience is going nuts. And I'm visibly seeing half the audience that has no idea who I am and is to this point enjoyed a very whimsical, upbeat show being like, Oh my God, what <laughs> did I get? So then, you know, I acknowledge that and I tried to bring it back, you know, after that, that's also about how you build a show. It's like if you want to build racy material or stuff, that's going to push boundaries, you know, do it in the middle of the show yeah. where you've built some trust with the audience about the their experience they sort of buy in and then you can push them a little bit
1: that's a good point um, which is, yeah, so would you estimate, so I was at that show as well. Um, would you estimate that crowd, how much percentage were people that like were part of our, like maybe comedy community and
0: how many people were outside of it? I think it was think? like 75% our, our community okay. uh, or, or friends of friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or personal friends. And then yeah, like 25, I had no idea who those people were.
1: That's, uh, that's amazing. Cause
0: I, I just like, I just assume, especially at least sometimes I'm like, Oh, this is just everyone. Cause
1: you just see enough familiar faces around there. You're like, Oh yeah, these are people that are part of like, that you see at every, like at shows, they do that kind of the circuit. But then I I, I didn't realize that because I'm in the back and I wish I had seen what the one thing I wished because I'm sitting in the tech booth and I was watching you do that song and I was like I want to see everyone's faces right now because it's a very explicit (laughs) song (laughs) and and I was like oh I just wish I could I'm only seeing the back of people's heads and I want to see like what they're who is reacting to this about the
2: shocked uh, blowjob ready faces they're making it (laughs) blowjob ready (laughs) as I talk about blowjobs yeah (laughs) yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, it's subliminal. They're like, it's happening. Yeah, yeah. It's, mouth, it's like you watch someone piss on stage and then you suddenly have to go to the bathroom or not piss, but talk about sure. having to go to the bathroom and then suddenly everyone in the audience has to go to the bathroom. I
2: always <laughs> piss when I see people pissing on stage. Yeah, yeah. it's psychosomatic. You know? Well, you just do, see it. Yeah, it's Do like, you think there's a
0: different, especially related to like the,
2: the anti-comedy conversation and like the idea of respecting audiences. Is there like a real big difference between um, doing comedy just for like the cognoscenti like In the know people who are likely to be bored with what's kind of standard or like, is there more honor in doing it for those people as opposed to like genuinely entertaining people who like don't
0: see that much comedy? I always do my comedy with the couple in Jersey that drove over the bridge and have never been to an improv That's show exactly or a comedy show about. before. Yeah. They don't, they think it's just stand up. They, they don't know what they're seeing. Like the, I, I always want to play to them and maybe cause I, I did a cruise ship for four months and I like performed for racist Republicans from Miami, <laughs> like, you know, 16 shows a week. Like I learned yeah, sure to be like, loved hey, you. <laughs> they, they, I mean, but even then, like they would test us by shouting out, like anytime it was two men asking for an improv suggestion, they'd be like, gay, and and we would always be like, thank you, gay. Yeah, yeah, And then we would do a scene that like kind of subtly challenged them of like the most boring, you know, two people in a shopping mall discussing like, should we get brand toilet paper or off-brand? And like, that's gay, you know? It's yeah, like yeah. just two normal people. And so it was a teachable moment slash they kind of laughed at us like making fun of like, we're not just going to flounce it up. Um, But I, I learned to respect them. Like they're they paid to see the show. Who am I to criticize them? And I do think there is this thing where like, we just perform for our friends, or the comedy glitterati, or like the people that are in the know. Especially when it comes to improv, where like everyone is like clapping, like, "Oh my God, you made such a three-dimensional um, uh, pattern game beat in your in your third beat of your Herald. The run was incredible. How like all the patterns and connections, like, and I'm just like the couple from Jersey doesn't care about that. They just like yeah. it was funny. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good show. Yeah, <laughs> I think ultimately a great show can work for both.
2: Yeah, yes. I also wonder yeah. too. Like, I mean, I'm you know pretty outside of this, and I I don't know the the any of the, the format of it And I wonder if Coming at it Fresh or trying to see it From the Jersey From couple's perspective The couple from Jersey's perspective <laughs> The Jersey from couple <laughs> Like I, I wonder I wonder if coming at it Fresh and not knowing Any of that stuff Actually frees you Or makes it more likely That you're going to be able To find a seam somewhere That doesn't exist
0: Hmm For the performers Or for the audience For the
2: performers Because if you're aware If you're too locked Into the format of it Then you've You know You kind of trap yourself Into it
0: Yeah and there's also Like a reward system Of like Performers seeing other performers, and especially if they're like in intensive classes where there's like strict dogma or ideology, it's like you kind of are like people are cheering for like moves more than like great scenes. It's like this, you know. I for me, like it, improv is about great characters and great scenes. Like that's what it boils down to. You can do the most complicated form in the world, no one gives a fuck unless it is adding to the scene, the scenic improv, um or or playing games or there's like anything that it's like about um, the pathos of I believe what's going on and. I'm surprised at how funny I never saw that coming and then all the other moves like a great tag or like I mean I, I, I just like I see people get so wrapped up when i graduated from io i was in a position where i couldn't do a scene to save my life but i was really good at like at like perfect edits and like great like pattern game and like you know really smart like callbacks and then once the callback was over like i came out and did the bit i had nowhere to go i had no Mm -hmm. i had nothing to sustain it was like i was playing with like pop rocks instead of steak and potatoes and so like I just think that like as a performer, I had to get back to my acting roots to really discover like what really excites me about improv, which is scenic, scenic scenes and characters. Interesting. And do you think that's... What's interesting, that's kind of like the idea of
1: like in baseball, it's, you'd call it a five-tool play, play, player in baseball. So somebody who... You oh, teach I, me about the baseball uh, now. Yeah, I love. Exactly. Good, but good. They, this is... Well, when, whenever I like eventually incept this idea into the Brooklyn Comedy Collective uh, curriculum... <laughs> you like, inception. I'm like, listen, to get the straight bros back into improv comedy, you got to give them all these sports analogies. And you'll be like... And Phil will be like, Brian, shut the fuck up. Straight bro, you need the gimmick. Yeah, exactly. Get the fuck out of here. Um, but... Uh, but my point is that, like, in baseball, it's a five-tool player, so somebody who can hit, play defense, all that kind of stuff. It's like you're saying the same thing. It's like, oh, well, you recognize you could play defense and you could maybe get on base, but you couldn't you couldn't hit home runs or whatever. You, I think like, Broadway
2: uh, stole the term triple threat from basketball. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Broadway <laughs> stole. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> That's I mean, what you should have told those races, Miami Republicans. T-
1: turns out Hugh Jackman. Was originally a originally great ba-
2: Phil Jackson.
1: <laughs> <laughs> originally Phil Jackson, the great basketball player. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just um, that's and- interesting about the triple threat thing because people also describe improvisers in terms of like you're a quarterback or like you're a support or like you're a glue player that yeah, like yeah. really you know ties the whole thing together. And something that was important to us at BCC was trying to make consummate performers that can do everything and very play with anybody. That's something that Andy and I really care about because the annoyance was amazing, but it was a very kind of like it had its own aggressive, uh, beautiful energy to it. But sometimes we would have annoyance graduates. That like couldn't do a form with other players so successfully, or like could be steamrolling at times, or like really confident, or like take care of themselves, but like ha- lack an awareness of the whole. Not to make like a, a an overall generalization. That's just kind of what we were responding to.
1: No, that's a good and that's interesting. I'm actually interested now to. So now I kind of mentioned this before, but Philip and Andy Donnelly co-founded, I would say, yeah. the Brooklyn Comedy Collective. And so it's an it's an outspurt certainly of your time in New York and Chicago, and I think your time at the Annoyance, of which I saw uh, obviously a ton of shows there as well. Um, you know, I contend that either me, Ryan, Doug- besides you and Annie, like me and Ryan Douglas, probably saw, you know the most. Yeah, exactly. We saw the most shows, just sitting in the booth for hours at a God time, bless. just in the, in the back, just like watching hours of improv. <laughs> um, and it, it, I do agree with your sentiment. That's certainly a generalization, but there was a kind of a thing. There was a point where everyone was like, "Oh, they're great." We all got like, we're trained in a certain tools or certain player tools where they're like oh yeah they're confident on stage and they really kind of went aggressively after what they were owning but then there was something missing it's uh, there's something missing when they went this route to play yeah out in, out in the field um so would you say that's like a that's a, the main tenet of the brooklyn comedy collective yeah now, our, or our, the, our yeah. three
0: main tenets we we sort of were inspired by like what really inspired us in our original journey in chicago which is that we love the personal empowerment from the annoyance so that's a big part of like what we want people to get From our classes is like what can you do that no one else can do, and you know knowing that at the end of the day you pleasing yourself and enjoying what enjoying your time on stage is so important, Mm -hmm. and making strong moves because that's going to help everyone the most, and then pairing that with an ensemble awareness of like how am I part of the whole, and sort of like without getting in our heads about it, understanding dynamics like this is a three-person scene, it seems to be a two-versus-one scenario, how to play that scenario out. Oh, we're three peas in a pod. What is our mission in a a three-peas-in-a-pod scene? Oh, this is like like a steak potato parsley and there's like a weird person in the background and like we're gonna not fuck with them we're gonna let them have their own thing or split scenes or four person or group mm. scenes and then eventually forms and the forms that we taught in this round of our level two classes which you know more advanced people could start at was the mono scene which is about realism the dream which is about sur- surrealism where you're Ooh, doing someone's dream yeah. and then just how to do a montage which is every form and making a form out of a formless form oh interesting making yeah. it sharp and finding the edge to whatever's going on so that you know it has, um, it, it, it adds up to more Than just good moments Interesting It's it's, it's a, spe- a piece That is a long form Okay um, yeah. And we're not teaching The Herald You know because The Herald You could learn anywhere Yes um, And the Herald Is also for me A more mathematical form um, In that there's like a, a very much Of an outline to it We're kind of teaching These three forms Because they teach A lot of ancillary skills okay. um, That will work With many other forms That you do
1: So why don't we also I kind of know What the Herald is. The Herald to me Is like the, the Kind of like the Is that like the Ascat kind of like Right now It's like where they do a a
0: monologue and then that's an Armando Armando does uh, monologues in between the best way I can describe a Herald is an episode of Seinfeld
1: (laughs) okay so oh yeah so they they go through so they have a plot a a B plot a C plot with different characters there's a
0: group scene where we tend to get these people or other people together and then repeat the A repeat the B repeat the C group it together and then have a run out where A B and C collide in some amazing way okay where it all ties it all and makes it all it's beautiful when you see it done well
2: oh yeah how can you how can that be written like on the fly
0: (laughs) uh it it's a form that people sort of go into. The thing that can be difficult and like we always learned from my my training of Harold, was like it is a template, but you can go off template. But mm. the I, th- I think a lot of mid-level and people that are learning it do it very rigidly out here, mm. which has its pros and cons. For me, the, the biggest problem with the Herald or any form that requires you to bring back a scene that maybe wasn't so great. <laughs> like say that B scene sucked yeah. Yeah. and now we're forced to do it again and maybe a third time and it's sort of like the audience doesn't want to see this the improvisers don't want to bring this back and but the form demands it yep, yeah. and that always bugged me it's yeah. like don't i don't want to ever be a slave to a form you yes. know yeah. like a monocene has its own demands that requires you to really invest in one character over the entire length of the show but it's very open where and how that can develop there's right. the, the rules aren't you know, rigidly mathematical. Maybe I picked Armando because that's the one I like
1: more because <laughs> I think it's more interesting because it combines Ar- the Armando combines the when done well. The interesting thing to me, which is I really like the kind of stand up element of just a storytelling kind of at the top and then somebody going in and riff like essentially a bunch of improvisers riffing off that. What is the
2: Armando? It's just
1: essentially one person comes out and does like a, I think it's like five minutes or maybe less, like a three to five minute kind of monologue. So that, I mean, it's generally, it's and it's an improvised monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Uh, based off that, the improvisers who are on the back line will come out and improvise a scene. So you know you talk about your trip to Italy or wherever you're going, or and then like and and then you mention some anecdote about going to Venice and you're like on a uh, yeah, one of those boats. they are they called? Uh, I'm gondola. a te- my last name is a temp- gondola. <laughs> the gondola. That's it. But by the way. Do I'm you a person. A,
2: th- a three minute monologue, just just making it up. I think so That's, That's insane. how long I would say the ones it I've It seems, seen. Like, this seems the like Storytelling, sorcery.
0: yeah That someone wow. gives you a word And then you sort of Can extrapolate What that word makes you think of And then you tell a story In the spot um,
1: We improvise a two hour long This is not two hours long <laughs> Not
2: well yeah, That's, exactly. I mean, If people paid for this I would feel horrible
0: well, that wasn't a big argument. Some people used to think that you can't pay for improv; it's too unpredictable. And
1: that's actually well, that leads into our next discussion. What is okay, that, are we willing to talk about like because I thought I thought about that paying for improv is an interesting thing, and it's actually kind of or paying for improv and then paying for uh, seeing a show and also paying performers has kind of become a thing of note recently. There was yeah. that Paste magazine that uh, article that I circulated around certainly on my social media and yours yeah. uh, a lot recently, and. There's a lot of people, particularly circula- circulating around the UCB community, where a, a Upright Citizens Brigade notoriously doesn't pay performers. A lot of other theaters don't. Uh, and then this guy, the guy I can't, I'll, we'll put the link to the article in the um, in the episode description. But said that like it's time they should consider doing that because it's moved beyond. It's moved to this kind of like juggernaut of a thing. And Brooklyn Comedy Collective, one of the things you did start was that you said after a certain threshold, you are paying performers for. Producing and bringing in, putting butts in the seats and paying them mm-hmm. for putting on a show. And I didn't. To me, in my mind, I was like, that's a great idea. I think I, I. I thought instantly. I was like, that's not controversial at all. It's like if people, you know, like they're giving money back to a theater, uh, particularly. I mean, uh, and they're giving money back to a community. And then if they they have an incentive on their mind at their end, which they're not going to be millionaires after producing a show in a you know less than a hundred person seats, mm-hmm. but they're like, okay, well you have an incentive to get people and put put butts in the seats and get people to show up for your show. I'm like and. You will be rewarded for that.
0: Um, Yeah, and incentivizes it and also says this is important. And like, it also empowers people to be producers. Right. Like, uh, you know, to not just be like, oh, I'm on a house team at a theater and like it's their job to bring in people. It's like, no, this is something I care about. I'm going to work. Right. And be responsible for it. Mostly responsible for it. We help too.
1: I think, and, I, in my mind And tell me if I'm wrong For things Well this is why I don't understand Why I was controversial Because I feel like In my mind There was a social contract It's like Well if somebody's paying For this show Then it's my job As a performer Or a producer To put on a good show It's like in exchange For the money That they earned At whatever they do To get money Like the, that There's a, there's something Like a, a hidden contract In that like, Where you're like Okay like It's my job To do the best I can Whether I'll deliver on that To, to deliver a show and Well like,
2: so obviously You don't agree with this But d- like to Pay lip service to the devil's advocate, like was the argument that it's going to lose urgency or something if you don't pay them? Because there's the appeal of it being a risk that they're continually taking is not going to go away because that's the format. So what does knowing that, like, if I paid to go see something, I would assume the person on stage is getting paid, and that doesn't detract from me laughing when I can see them making a decision in real time.
0: Well, this actually goes back to even to the third tenant that I was going to mention about the BCC's curriculum, which is professional performance, which is like when we go see shows at Second City, you know, Annie and I would like... That was a, a mostly scripted show, but it was professionally done, mm-hmm. and there was a real aesthetic to it that was not just people, you know, fucking around in shorts and flip-flops doing improv <laughs> and, like, not, you yeah. know, yeah. caring how it went because they want it to be a good show, but also, like, there's no like you didn't, you know, these people that are there are like that money isn't going to you. Whereas like, I do think that there's a responsibility of like, Oh, this is my show that I am putting up like sparkle. I did last um, yeah. week. I care very much that those people have a $10 plus experience, <laughs> right, you know? Right. And five, ten five, $10, like it, these are still very cheap prices, you right, know? Right. But like it, it, I just really, I think it's empowering mm-hmm. to give people. Um, and it, it's only a good thing for people to be like, let's put your money where your mouth is. Like it, do a $5 improv show and make it worth, make it worth well more than that. You right. know what I mean? Now right. I think what UCB, what it, I had heard people saying in that argument, and I am not here to tell any other theater how to run their business. Right, like right, right. it is their thing. They can do whatever they want and people can buy into that or not. Like mm-hmm. that is their choice. Um, I think they felt like they wanted to be a risk, uh free zone for people to really develop their voices, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and to not feel the pressure of the financial burden but just as you know theater's going to take care of the finances you guys just show up and figure out how to be strong improvisers and artists that make it up on the spot okay um so that was where they i think we're coming from
1: okay yeah, it's it's a fair point i guess it's just the i think the um where the complication in the argument is is because that ucb has become this empire of like like Improv classes, and they kind of control the means of production towards putting people on a stage of that's going to put them in front of maybe some a, like uh, representation and that kind of right. stuff. And that's like where it gets complicated. Where it's like, well, this has clearly transcended from kind of a, a an area where it's like, well, you're being an artist and you're putting a risk on stage too. It's like, well, there's like you know they are industry people here, and there's this is obviously a thing. Like they also take a lot of credit for like performers who just like perform on their stage anytime. There's like, well, it's like a, like Abby Jacobson and uh, Alana Glazer from. Uh, uh, Broad City and that kind of stuff. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing. Like it's like in the artist community claiming credit for somebody or something like getting credit. It's like, well, they because they took a, a whether it's a Brooklyn Comedy Collective class or UCB class. It's like, well, we we can put the rubber stamp and be like, oh, they like you know Philip. Philip was here, so and, yeah. and then Philip got that great part on on the Netflix show, like the Judd Flash Apatow Bridges. Netflix show or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and then it's like then it, that's that's where it gets. I think that's where it gets murky and like it, it gets a complicated decision. Also, like, uh, uh, am I am I messing up? No, <laughs> you're, you're
0: I, I think yeah. that uh, Mick Mick Napier wrote a, a great post about uh, claiming people, and yeah. I really agreed with it. It was just like, you know, if you're gonna claim that these people that you made them who they are. Mm-hmm. you know your your training or your stage opportunities made them yeah. this broad city success or whatever then you, you can't selectively claim you have to claim everyone you have to say like we are directly responsible for the outcomes of the people that take our accredited classes yeah. so that means that you know how many improvisers that go through classes get a major TV deal or end up on, it's probably like you know one out of a thousand one yeah. out of ten thousand yeah. so like if, if you're then claiming you're an accredited school and like you are claiming people then you're graduating rate to an actual career in comedy is something like 0.1 yeah, percent which is yeah. terrible yeah so yeah. i would i would say don't you know you can you can say that you helped people on their journey but you can't take sole credit um and for marketing purposes saying like these people performed at your theater like that's all fine um but yeah i, I do think it's a it's a really delicate line i mean the other thing that i think people would say is like the industry that goes to ucb like that is an amazing boon yeah um yeah. it's something that as artistic director or when, when i was directing at the annoyance i um I was always caring about uh, inviting industry because I wanted people to be like, Oh my God, I'm going to reach out to comedy central people because this is an amazing show or IFC or anyone. I was always trying to advocate for people. And I sent out a big release when the BCC opened and the industry response was amazing. Yeah, yeah. People were so excited about yeah. it. And so that I think is just any artistic director's job is to, to, to provide that. I don't think that should be tied to like, well, you're not getting paid, but you're getting seen by industry. That's just my job. If I'm representing the theater to try and give people that, you know try try and shine a light on them I think that's like, yeah.
2: Well, could you ever see yourself? <clears throat> could you ever see marketing yourself as someone who has honed sort of this almost like a distributor of talent? So you're the thing that's going to connect industry with this raw talent pool. Yeah. They're called
0: agents. <laughs> yeah. And like and managers, you know, kind of kingmaker.
2: Like, do you ever foresee? I don't want to be a kingmaker. No, 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 I
0: don't want, I don't want to play God. We, we, we didn't, we stopped doing house teams at the annoyance. I know because we felt like we were playing God and, 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 you know, trying to say who's going to be good playing with each other is such a crapshoot. Like I always say I've been on eight house teams in my life. I think something like that, like just a bunch of different ones. And um, and out of those teams, how many do you think now? I think we're like successfully consistently funny.
1: One? Yeah, one. <laughs> and
0: that team was modeled after a team that I had already cast right. in, a, in an independent show. The theater just literally o- almost person to person copied the cast. So it just goes to show that you play best with people that you organically want to work with. Yes. You know, and... um. And yeah. And another thing about like, again, UCB being this amazing, huge thing, is like people put in three, four years there to get the opportunity and then finally land on like a Lloyd or a Herald team. So, you know, I think that this argument that, you know, people aren't good yet, that it's a, it's a risk, you know, risk-free zone for people to find their voice. It's like, these people have been doing this for four years. They better be able to make a $5, you know, ticket audience laugh. And you know, it's it's a huge deal to, pe- to get to get that, and then even when you get that, you're still in a position where well, I was at the you know People's Improv Theater. I was on two house teams. I was paying over a hundred dollars a month in dues just for the to be on those teams. Yeah. And those, we had to have a, a coach. We had to rent our own rehearsal. You know, nothing was provided at the time, and it was kind of insane because it's like the pe- the the goal of like something I really wanted, and I'm on this thing was like. I pay a hundred dollars a month to this theater for the opportunity. It's a pay-to-play system, right? Right. And, and there,
1: there's something to uh, uh, There's some, there's something to the idea that like, well, you put some skin in the game there too. Uh, it's like it's there's. There, I think we're all just coming at the angle of like, well, the, you, yeah, you. It's a pay-to-play system, and you're not seeing any return on that, maybe, and that's the frustrating thing. Except for maybe the stage time you're getting, maybe the opportunity to perform on uh, in an area where you're get, getting exposure. Um, but I, I just think that is. Um, th- that's it's interesting to me. I lost my train of thought cause you're like, what um, you well, it? so
2: what I was gonna ask was, um, well, well, thing, I briefly lived in Chicago uh, like eight for, years ago, <laughs> and um, I'm from Chicago, and notably, for the but beginning but of your whole life, yeah, the beginning <laughs> of my life. Yeah. And I remember when um, my I, actually, I would also be very curious to hear your thoughts on like the talent level there versus here. I've heard <laughs> things from my improviser friends that are in Chicago, but I was also I think around right after they had started this like very kind of transparently business model. Uh, system where you could no longer get recruited to like IO or second city or like, let's say second city's like top teams, but you had, you had to go through the entire, um, matriculate okay. through the entire system. And so my question is, is that like the norm? And is that just been accepted as a standard?
0: Well, I and I, I know I know you had to go through their program to audition for their teams. And there is an argument to be saying that like, you know, you haven't learned the way that they do the Herald or something. So you need to take their classes in order to represent that show on stage, etc. Um, second city, um but the other thing i'll say about that is it's crazy how like improv credits don't transfer like you can train at <laughs> a school in new york and then go to la and they're like you gotta start with level one it's yeah, like yeah. maybe i know like 95 of what you're already teaching so i i have always that
2: used to not be the case though like in a previous generation
0: i don't know how it used to be except that second city anyone could audition and no, I, mean, I i never i got uh major employment at second city on this cruise ship with like I never took a single class at Second City. So I always appreciated that it's like, if you're talented and you come to them with the goods, then you can get you you don't have to pay to pay to get into that system and you can get like a high paying gig out of it and so I always with the BCC I want our classes to have value on their own I want them to be the best classes doing what we teach um, with the best teachers I could possibly hire and I want that to be the value that we're going to make you an amazing improviser and not and I want also people anyone can pitch to us and there might be like a slight preference especially because like the number one thing that when we're looking at pitches is do we know the people that are involved like you know a random pitch from someone we've never heard unless it's helping out in some other way. Like diversity is very important to us. Yeah. And so that is a huge thing that we are looking to program. Maybe even if we um, haven't personally worked with those people, but if you're in our classes, we're going to reach out to you. We want our students to pitch to us, but truly it is not a barrier to entry. Um, and I also, just the last thing I'll say about like the, um, house team situation where Mm -hmm. you're paying to play on those things is it creates a huge problem, problem of privilege. Not everyone can spend a hundred dollars a month to be on teams and also commit all the time that goes along with that, that they're paying to be at like that. There's a huge diversity problem in improv. And I think that the system, you know, even with scholarships that people are offering, the basic model is that like, you're going to be. If, if you get on a Lloyd team or something and you're not willing to pay the dues, it's not okay. Yeah. There's no, I mean, as far as I know, I've never been on it. So I, and again, they can do what they want. It is their business practices. I just wanted to try a different model and see if we can make it work. Addressing the
1: class uh, class diversity issue in, in comedy is a, a very, I think a very ambitious and good idea. Um, but it's, all, it's also one of those things where I think that, in this day and age, it'll be interesting to see. I think you guys are I really respect obviously the work you do. I've worked, you know, with you for a couple of years now. And uh, I've worked with you in the context that probably you're like,
0: Brian, do this right now <laughs> and, and me, I do it me with, the crazy improv teacher. Brian
1: Yeah, you make me do whatever crazy stuff I do. And you usually you usually get me to deliver in some way on that. Um <laughs> But the other thing that I think is... um yes, please, I, I, dish, okay. dish, dish. No, <laughs> I, think,
0: I think the talent is huge in Chicago. I think the talent is huge in New York and the huge in LA. The differences are a little bit more aesthetic. Like I found like Chicago was a little more slow burn. People were more willing to like really go see a lot of shows, learn their craft. You know, the city wasn't encroaching on you with these huge financial burdens that made everyone a little desperate. Yeah. And I feel like New York people are a little bit more trigger happy to like, how is this going to help me get on stage this class? And I wish that people were more like like in terms of like it's a process and like you do want to get really good um, by taking with as many amazing teachers like a good teacher it doesn't matter what school they're at train at every school find the best teachers in every philosophy there is no one teacher that is right there is no one teacher that is God and any school that says that their way is the only way you should not uh, believe because you want to learn from everyone and formulate what makes you strongest and I felt like Chicago was an amazing place for that on the same hand, almost all my friends that I know leave Chicago at some point. It is a training ground for me, and I left. And you know, everyone I know kind of went New York or LA for like what they perceive as the next step. So that's a challenge with Chicago. But oh my God, did I have an amazing experience there!
1: It's a good, it's a good incubator, but you must flee the nest at some point uh, yeah, on into one of. of the
0: coasts. <laughs> this is a very timely conversation,
2: by the way, because I, my uh, improviser friends are, um, I have no idea where they're where they're doing it. But uh, actually, no. I did, his wife is in the touring company of Second City, and um, I had dinner with them on Sunday, and they revealed that they're thinking about moving to New York, yeah. which is exactly what you're saying. So, and I was like, yes, 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 move. I need more friends. I need more friends. I hate, I friends. I hate I need, having to spend every week. I need to you triple how much you're paying. <laughs> <laughs> they live in Wicker Park for like six hundred dollars a month, and it's like oh, it was that's like about me about and Logan change.
0: Square, and I had a mansion. Oh my uh, god, it was amazing
2: let's move let's do this back in chicago let's look at yeah.
0: chicago too cold you uh, cannot that's a good point as it a, is too i did 10 winners there uh, no thank you i never and, again and
2: okay. hotter though it's also hotter in the
0: summer i always have it to is that a in. boiling <laughs> armpit in the summer and i'd ride my thank bike you. in when, tank tops when, when Megan and i, and I went, loved it
1: yeah when, 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 when meg and i went to chicago two years ago we got on that the river tour yeah, thing, and, were, and it, yeah. it was sweating at eight thirty in the morning. I was like, "What the hell is going on here?" But also, if it gets equally and opposite as cold, I will never mind. We're not moving to Chicago. <laughs> well, a, the way- about Brooklyn Comedy Collective. So I think you guys are doing a, what I. I was very excited to be a part of it and be par- invited back to be part of the community and help out in whatever way I can. Um, but uh, the thing that is exciting about the Brooklyn Comedy Collective is that you're doing this, where you're also putting a premium on live performance in such a time where there's like. Okay, there's live performance, and you will also enable you to perform in other places. There's a there's a lot of premium for stage time in New York, and you guys somehow found. And please tell me the story of how you found the Brick Theater, because yeah, I, because here's the thing about the Brick Theater, and I well, this is all I say before I let Philip tell me the story about how he found it. I have been on that block between Metropolitan and Lorimer, like a million times over the course of my time living in New York City. I have never seen this place, and it is this diamond in the rough. Just they like, need oh, better right. signage. <laughs> I have
0: always felt this way, but they like to keep it hidden. Hidden gem. Yes um they uh, so uh, a person at the brick actually out of the blue Annie donley and i had been talking about like you know what would be amazing is if we don't have to sign a lease and build out a theater yes. like you know especially as we're just starting out and then the brick reached out to me being like hey we, we know you used to like run the annoyance like do you ever want to you know do a late night comedy show where we're looking at late night comedy shows and then i was like actually we uh. do have this idea and like what can we do and that then it was like six months or so of like talking back and forth and kind of like let's do this and sort of cooling off and that's also being like we would want classes to be part of this because that's you know i had been independently teaching at that point i was teaching all over the world and i was getting kind of i was really excited about this curriculum that i was helping develop but also like I do believe that classes and shows go really well together. Mm -hmm. So the brick, we sort of figured it out where we would just come in on Thursday, Friday, Saturdays after their, you know, 8 PM or 7 PM show got out and just take over the theater as long as there wasn't a major set in there. Um, And so we were going to do a six week trial. It went really well. We agreed to extend, extend to the end of 2018. There are a couple hiccups where there's like two weeks here where there's an exclusive rental or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we have to go dark. So that isn't ideal. But other than that, like the arrangement has been nothing but wonderful. Like, I've enjoyed seeing what the brick produces from a theater perspective. I was a theater actor before I was ever a comedy person. And then, you know the added revenue that they're getting from us coming in. it's just been it's been symbiotic and great and low risk and it allowed us financially to be able to pay artists, at least, you know, a cut of the box office. Yeah. So again, it's, it's sort of a special thing and it's, it's an experiment, but I'm, I'm loving it. And so far it's just been a wonderful relationship.
1: Okay, great. Cause that, that, that is very, very synchronistic
2: that they, they reached out to you or that's a weird, sometimes scene. these things happen. That's true. Has it, uh, uh, have you like switched at all from like, well, okay. So you, you switched modes from actor, well, from thespian to actor, <laughs> yes. I'm sure high, lower, lowered expectations for actor. And then from actor to comedian or like improviser or comedy humorist, let's say a humor in person, humorist, physical humorist. <laughs> a <wizard>. and, then, <laughs> and then at some point, like, did you switch modes into proprietor? Is this a different part of your brain? Do you feel like it's
0: an extension of your aesthetics? Well, I just taught a producing workshop where I basically was empowering everyone to be producers and also to try new things that like I, and I also had a kid that took uh, an Airbnb experience with me. Another thing I produce <laughs> is like people come to my house and take a, uh, an experience with me where they, you know, 21 and up cocktails. Everyone else has look croys and we play an improv game and uh and then I take them to the theater or or see an improv show or something we play uh, and they apply the improv concepts and there was this kid that was like oh my god he was 17 he's like I want to go to musical theater school and like I want to get a bfa and it was like reminding me of like the exact same feelings I had and I went to like I went to northwestern I, I pursued a certificate of musical theater and a major in acting and I did that whole thing I didn't even do improv until I got out of college and I was like in a play And I discovered that I had to break down emotionally eight shows a week opposite an actor that literally wouldn't set his lines the same way. I could have slapped him and he wouldn't have changed it. It got bad reviews. It was hell. And I was like, if you cannot take the bad with the good, this might not be for you. (laughs) And so then I branched out. I took improv classes. And at Northwestern, I taught um, taking classes and teaching kids. And I started teaching creative drama. And I started a mostly children's acting school in Chicago. And then I learned how to run a business. No one had ever taught me how to run a business. God bless. My father's an accountant. He was very happy. I was learning how to run a business <laughs> and then I moved the annoyance out here and then finally with the BCC I opened my own business and I learned how taxes work and how you can file an S corp in New York and I kind of loved the whole fucking journey oh yeah So I just encourage people to not be narrow about anything, including improv philosophy, but mostly about their lives, like be open to everything. And when you get stuck, go new. Like when people get stuck in improv, I normally don't tell them to take another improv class. I tell them to go jump out of a goddamn airplane, go skydive. I, yeah,
1: I, the, a very admirable point of view. That, uh, hell yeah, I, I, that's so empowering. Burning
0: Man, take hell yeah. You know, do some. I've been to Burning Man four times. I learn about myself. You know, go deeper into like the things you don't know about yourself. I gotta go to Burning Man once at least. Come to, with it.
1: me this year. Uh, hell yeah! Okay. Isn't it? Is there a lottery system? I thought there was. I in... didn't
0: get a ticket, but it, that can <laughs> always be figured out. <laughs> we can skydive. Burning then. Man <laughs> tickets are very easy to get close at the date. Everyone's selling. You just got to be quick on the trigger. Okay, good. Good to know.
1: All right. Well, maybe I'll do that. If you if you sincerely if would you I think you'd love it and who, I
0: would hook you up. I'm good about bringing people out there and making sure that they're taken care of and you know what to expect. You have your twenty gallons of water, you have your gifts to give, and enough food. And yeah, I know some good. This is sites. exactly what I need. I need yeah. like a Sherpa. That's what I, I would exactly, take you uh, out there. I've okay. done it before. Hell yeah. Okay. Wow. When is but, it? Uh, it's before Labor Day weekend, and it's a arts festival in the middle of the desert. It is not a music festival. It is a city of wonder that yes. exists for seven days. I yes.
2: would love to go to Burning Man. Yes. You can't come, Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming. We're going to have an improv off and I'm going to yeah. be in my spot.
1: Well, I just imagine us in some kind of Thunderdome scenario out in the desert, but yeah, we're doing we'll like die. improv scenes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Great. Excellent. So uh, well, I was going to say, Philip, that's another thing that I admire about your act. I think that you do a very good job of being uh, sincere and, and especially in a city that's so cynical like New York and is such a, has such a hard edge to it. I think you do your best, uh, even when you and I are both commiserating and depressed about stuff, you do your best to bring out the whimsy in people. And I I appreciate that. And the sincerity. (laughs) And the sincerity,
0: yes. Here, The biggest thing is no one can argue with sincerity. You can find something funny or not funny. You can you know, like a show or not like a show, but if someone's sincere on stage and saying how they really feel, you can't argue with it. Yeah, It's mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of trumps everything to me.
1: Yes. I agree. I think this is one of the things that you and I like bonded as, as friends is as first about like da- the David Foster Wallace, uh, like s- speak about like, is there an essay about, I think he might've given a speech about it as well, about like, the
0: dangers of irony and like overly being overly
1: ironic. And yeah, uh, I feel is, that a lot, which and is a hard be, pit. Yeah.
0: Like, I can be a snippy, sarcastic motherfucker. But oh, like yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, I, I live my life hopefully through sincerity because it's what I, that that's what served me the best long term.
1: That's a good point. Uh, I agree. I, I feel the same way. Uh, I was just trying to affirm our own
2: beliefs. That's yeah, <laughs> how do you feel, Lenny? Lenny, what do you feel about sincerity versus irony? irony? Uh, I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> I prefer to be a uh, guarded and oblique. <laughs> he the black monolith that's right like in 2001 oh yeah it's exactly. <laughs> a reference yes. I was saying yeah. <laughs> I'm a square boy like Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un <laughs> I'm shaped like a square
0: it's unfathomable
1: I know uh, do we want to talk? We haven't. This has been the only one we've not talked about, like current events, where we haven't. No, we, uh, I think we could probably cap. Um. Well, I. I think maybe we should. Ca- I think. Want, I want the going out music to be the 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> it should definitely be that. But, uh, I also.
0: I am taking a maiden voyage flight in a week. Oh and a half. yes, this is what so I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I'm very nervous about this because I think it's. It's interesting, but I. I've never done this. I'm flying to London on a dirt cheap flight via a new airline called Primera Air and it's their maiden voyage okay. and you know nothing has ever gone wrong between maiden <laughs> voyages between the US and the UK never so I'm just like <laughs> I'm loving it it was like 99 dollars but I'm I mean this could be my last podcast
1: oh well uh, let's let's hope that's
0: not the case but uh, but was, because I just love Europe so much they're I never launching come home. so
2: <laughs> many like millennial airlines
0: You're, they're gonna like throw croutons at the plane when they land as they're going something. to throw up champagne I hope I hope it's actually gonna be like a really fun flight. I flew on nine eleven. I didn't care. It was actually like a quite a <laughs> nice experience. It was two oh, really? thousand the real nine eleven. No, no, no. Like oh, wow, the ten wow, wow. the ten I year mean, anniversary, anniversary though. No, it was like, like yeah. people were heightened and everything, but like I was like, this This is the safest day in the world to fly. Everyone's paying attention.
1: Yeah. I, I know. That's a good point. Well, wh- wait, hold on. How'd you find the maiden voyage of a, of a ship? They
0: just opened and they, you know, because Facebook is ubiquitous and evil. Like I got ads in the right-hand side pane in my Facebook of like, oh, you're searching flights to London. Here's a $99 flight. And so I clicky click yeah. and I look at their calendar, you know, and it's thursday april 19th oh that's the day i wanted to fly there's no why can't i find any flights before then oh because they don't exist this is their maiden voyage (laughs) oh my god um
1: well that actually there's the news because mark zuckerberg testified before congress today
0: (laughs) i watched him he looked like a deer in the damn headlights he didn't look he did bad yeah
2: I don't understand. Uh, I I love the Americans and I don't want them to be sad. He (laughs) sucks. He
0: created a monster. He is playing God and this is what happens when you fly Icarus too close to the sun. It's
2: kind of funny too that they don't need America. Like, they're they are the internet in so many countries, and they he could literally just be like, I actually uh, don't care about you, and I'm going to leave now. And, <laughs> they
0: are too powerful. What they've done to comedy. There was an amazing article, but like Funny or Die's entire editorial team was laid off because basically, fe- you know, Facebook was like coming to these comedy platforms and being like, Oh, produce your videos through us. We'll give you more hits. And truly, Facebook gets you a ton of hits, yeah. and they're advertising like you can get a lot more bang for your buck on Facebook ads than Google. But the problem was, that after Facebook sort of like cornered that market, people stopped going to Funny or Die's organic website and just checked them on Facebook. And then Facebook, like a couple months ago or something or a year ago, started censoring outside links. So if you post a link on Facebook, no one sees it. You have to do a text or a photo or a video or an event. And so these poor places, then like basically Facebook was their only platform and Facebook was prioritizing cat videos and dog videos and clickbait instead of like interesting complicated weirdo comedy right so facebook actually killed content
1: that's like that is i mean the example of how we're living in a legitimate but boring black mirror universe like where yes it's just like the more, cat more videos yeah uh, exactly we're just like oh we're just distracting it's like hey, somebody made an ambitious choice as an artist with this video it's like just just throw more cat videos at. just crank more cat videos into their feed unless like, they're willing to pay so true. it's just
0: it's just nuts
1: yeah this is
2: the, the pitfall this is such an acute pitfall of the consumerist hell that we live in it's like what do you want what do you want do you want this do you want this yeah yeah and you actually don't want it now you get fat and then you have heart attack
0: one algorithm decides what your wants are it describes yeah. me as a very political left leaning man who probably loves dogs and like that's what it shows me. Right, yeah, and just and just like Dogs like Bernie t- Sanders. Uh uh-huh. hey, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, me too. This the robot <laughs> know us too well. The robot is Hal nine
2: thousand. Brian, if you really have ASMR, you would get it to the Bernie Sanders podcast. Me and Brian have this ongoing thing where he says he has ASMR. I and do I also, what's I, ASMR? Oh, fill up and we're don't gonna you, blow what your what mind, don't you mind talk for, about it. Mr. Hmm, um, yeah, Knowledgeville, I have it. Benny doesn't believe I have
1: ASMR because he's gatekeeping on asmr and i do and yeah like it? it's, it's a it's
2: a conti- it's a bri- oh you condition? just
1: said no you stole my valor yeah did, yeah, yeah.
0: well i don't, <laughs> I don't want let it. him valhalla this moment no, i don't want it do to it. be yeah. in
2: in untrustworthy hands it's um it's this condition where you hear uh, certain noises like soft noises like whispering or like paper crinkling or something and if you hear it on headphones it gives you like brain tingles basically
0: oh it's, oh, I've heard about these videos. Yes, yeah, exactly. there's there's
2: videos on YouTube, and it's only it's only <laughs> existing
1: in a certain. So we might be triggering a bunch of people's ASMR right now. And it's like it just basically feels like a like a like a warm wave going through your whole body. It's like it's, like, it's so kind of weird. like I, heard, I love it. I love yeah, that. Yeah. I
2: heard recently about a uh, someone. It was a comedian who started off a live podcast episode at like some podcast festival by going, hey, "Everybody, welcome. Hold on, one second Okay, sorry. That was for the people at home with ASMR. All right. (laughs) (laughs) That was like
1: a but yeah So that's So then Lenny and I fight about Whether I have it or not And I do Because uh, I But like it, There's only certain things That trigger you So everyone's kind of different So you yeah. can find So some people It's the crinkling sound Or whatever it is Or these kind of things It's so, <laughs> so weird Yeah so there's I a, love it There's a huge We're so close to just Tilting into a full ASMR
0: podcast <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like, More money in it Yeah
1: So we should just like Put that on the hashtag And we'll probably get A million more Like listens <laughs> Oh my god what, we do. what do you have coming up Then at uh, BCC Oh well, let's talk about Yeah we'll talk about What we have coming
0: up With BCC And then well, so yeah.
1: you to promote your, your world tour. Can yeah, you know, so
0: I'm going on this. Uh, so BCC is going to run without me, which is the way I built it. I trusted, I hired three, I hired three female awesome house managers. I only hired women except for the tech boys. <laughs> <laughs> except for me. <laughs> it actually became like strangely very gendered. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I, I trust these ladies to run it and Annie to run it. And um, I'm just going to be in Europe and uh, for a month. And I'm doing, to sort of spread like, the teaching philosophy that I'm doing I'm traveling to seven different cities teaching those cities London, Bristol, Gothenburg, Sweden, Munich, Berlin and Reykjavik and Iceland on the way home and I always go to Berlin because we have a sister school relationship that we established with the the BCC as a sister school with the CCB which is a palindrome for those listening so um, (laughs) it's a palindrome (laughs) and uh, they're my oldest friends the first people I taught with in Europe and I love them and they're coming out here the week before DCM to teach and do shows at our theater and also take our summer intensive, which is coming up for anyone coming out of town for DCM. That's the Del Close Marathon at UCB. And, uh, you can train with us before if you like, um, and then have an awesome DCM. And then, uh, yeah, I like these trips. These trips have are wonderful. I get off my phone because I don't have a data plan abroad. (laughs) <laughs> and I walk through parks and I feel like a European and I have cappuccinos and I look at my life and I sort of take stock of the things I've, you know, become obsessed with. And it's just a really good resets to write and sort of calm down. I also work in these cities like many, many hours teaching improv, yeah. but I don't mind it. Um, and uh, and then I go and dance at uh, big gay nights like king kong in sweden and uh <laughs> go to gay bathhouses and have a wonderful time oh yeah <laughs> um yeah the, we won't share it here because you shared it on stage but the one about the the bathhouse is a, das ba- berlin, yeah yeah exactly the next to it disgusting yeah
1: yeah it, the bathhouse in one bathhouse in particular in berlin sounds like hell yeah exactly piss hell just, i love it yeah i, I
0: want to go back and just look at it i yeah. don't want to do anything there
1: i want I, as a straight person i'm like i i know i i believe you philip but I also I never it.
0: lie. I, I know, exaggerate I exaggerate sometimes, but I never lie. This thing is really what it is. Can I swap
2: my Burning Man invite for this like gay paradise trip? Are you gay? No. Then <laughs> don't get the, get the hell out of the gay but
0: bathhouse. So yeah. <laughs> stop stealing ASMR behind. and
1: gay
2: power.
0: The <laughs> yeah. gays have our bathhouse. It's our sacred, yeah. horrible institution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, we can't invade
1: so many things. We've yeah. already inv- straight men have invaded just about everything else, so we can leave that alone. But I
0: right. think everyone should travel. Yes. alone I think it's a really good I love traveling alone. I agree to with soul that. search yeah, yeah. it's mo-
1: some of the best breakthroughs in personal growth and spiritual growth have come when I was traveling
0: Annie and I, I flew Annie and Joey Dundo her husband out uh with me last time I went to Berlin last October mm-hmm. and um we did a bunch of cities together but they also like went to Salzburg for like a second honeymoon and mm-hmm. like I went to a different city and then we met up again in oh, Rome recall. and taught in Rome so it was nice and balanced where you had some solo time and some group time and we and our sister school thing want to send people out to Berlin to work and teach and stuff so that'll just be something we'll have to keep in mind who won't kill each other on these trips because I was on a cruise ship with a cast that didn't necessarily get along so well and it was hell for four months. So oh personal dynamics, you got to love the people you work with hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially in a cruise ship scenario where you're essentially you a- trapped, jump <laughs> overboard <laughs> is yeah. hell and hell on earth.
1: You're like a luxurious prison that you're on. Uh, um, <laughs> yes. um so, uh, okay. Well, great. So then, I think we'll wrap it up there. But uh, so, Philip, uh, thank you, you for having me. No, well, we're so thank you for being a me. part of
2: the BCC. I'm letting a, you got to come by. I'm gonna be part of the BCC now too. just oh, a, a joiner.
1: Take a class. Or yeah. come hang out in the tech
2: booth with me. But bye,
1: yeah, like
0: the next it. classes are starting in June. So yeah, so sign yeah. up
1: for Brooklyn CC. And we'll be, Brian, you should teach
0: then. a uh, tech class that oh, I'll, I'll do. Actually, someone was asking me about that. We
1: could do that. Yes. Especially, I had a bad tech day the other day, though. But that was because it wasn't my fault. We won't talk about it on air, but we it wasn't my fault. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'd be happy to teach anyone that craft. It's a very... But we should, can we do that as like, we won't, we'll cut this part out, but we, we should do that as like a, an add on. If it's like, does anyone want to stay and learn the basics of tech? People in the
0: producer workshop were like, what if I don't know how to do tech? And I'm like, you should learn because yeah. I have had many shows that would have been tanked if I hadn't been knowledgeable about how to fix the tech yeah, problems 100%. myself. So yeah. We should talk about that. It's only a good skill to have just like video editing or audio editing. You can learn. It's That's actually fun. Or opening businesses and starting S-Corps. That's true. Fun. Let's start an S-Corp. Maybe we should do that. The best, the hardest thing is coming up with the name. That was the hardest thing with Brooklyn CC. The name was. Hell, I remember you web. calling me
1: in a frenzy. I had no idea this call was coming, and then you're like, Brian, I need okay, we got to name we got to name something now. And it I was, was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I was gonna name it the doghouse, yeah. I remember I, that. I was like, Yeah, that's so cool to cool. calling it yeah. the doghouse theater. In fact, I registered the website and everything okay. and then I backed off.
1: Well, th- you're welcome, Squarespace, for that free registration. BCC B- is good, B- okay. Yeah, brooklyncc.com for classes and shows. Uh, and check Philip if you're in Europe, we do have you're we have listeners in Paris. Yeah, right, you're not doing that. I've
0: never taught in France. They don't improvise in English so much. That's France, true. Spain, and Italy. That was really. High. I taught in Italy, but they had to translate everything, and it was <laughs> totally insane to be watching improv and have a person whispering in your ear what was happening. That's the amazing. lady, That's a the form. lady going to open the bank account. They say you too ugly. She say no, I am a princess. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new cetera, form. it was truly exhausting.
1: Um, we definitely got a hit in Berlin. So if you're in Berlin. Yeah, there's still two spots left in my workshop. Check it out. Cool. All right, thanks so much for coming Thank you for having me. And take us out with 2001.